0: Good morning friends, if we have not met, my name is Charlie Salomone, and we have begun a series in the New Testament book of Acts. Let me read the first passage, pay attention here, Acts chapter 1, begin verse 3, after his suffering he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then the gathering around him, Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So for a few weeks now, This is the third week. We've been talking about this promised gift. Wait for the gift that my father has promised. And the case that I've been making, and I will continue with this, is that this gift that has been promised to us deserves or even demands more prominence in our thinking and in our prayers, then we've been giving it. That's how I feel. There's a gift that's been promised. And it's something that should get our attention and it should occupy our thoughts, occupy our desires, occupy our prayers. I don't say it just from this, We've been on a journey and we saw this when we even considered the Lord's Prayer and Jesus equated it all with how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And all the times that you've heard me talk about the many times Jesus spoke, ask and receive, ask and receive, ask and receive so that your joy may be full. Do you remember that one from John chapter 16? Ask and receive that your joy may be full. And last week, if you were here, we saw that this asking and receiving, this promise to ask and receive, it's connected with this prayer that we would know the salvation that we have. The word that historically been used here for what I'm describing is the word assurance, meaning it's one thing to have your religion and... You know, to say your prayers, but it's an entirely other thing to have heart assurance where I know that I belong to him and to know the love. That's the prayer that we saw last week, to know the love, to know the depth, the height, the width of the love of God that surpasses knowledge, meaning it goes beyond what occupies your mind, but it speaks to the heart. That's the desire, that's The power that the Holy Spirit does inside of us. We talked about all of this last week. Go back and listen to it if you didn't catch it. But the refresher is just this there's a Spirit that's been promised to us, the gift from the Father, and the way that the Holy Spirit works in our heart is testifies to us that we belong to Him, that we belong to God, and we know the love. That's the gift that the Father has promised. And that's That's how it works inside of us. But there's more. We're going to go farther with this today. So uh, what else? What else? It's my, once more, it's my conviction that this promise that we see here, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. This promise has not gotten the attention that it demands. It's something that Jesus expected us to be asking for to be longing for and asking for as we see the apostles do continually in the book of Acts. This is a promise that we should be looking to and expecting this promise of power. And it's my feeling, I feel strongly about this, that it's a promise that we've largely, I don't wanna say totally ignored, but we haven't given it the attention that I feel like it needs, especially given the state of the church. Let me just describe that a little bit. Oh, so I had this memory this week. When I was in high school, so this is a while ago, I'm older than I look. When I was in high school, for a little time, I was on the wrestling team. And I'm pretty scrappy, so don't fight me. (laughs) I was on the wrestling team, and uh, there was we had this one tournament where there was lots of matches and like we were fighting all day or wrestling all day, you know, and all through the morning, like all of our guys were losing. And I remember at lunchtime, the coach pulled us all together and he gave us a little bit of a talk. (laughs) He gave us a little bit of a talking to. And I cannot tell you exactly what he said, because it would be inappropriate for the context. (laughs) Um, But what he basically said is, guys, we're getting our butts handed to us out there. (laughs) What's going on? And, uh, well, I just bring it up because sometimes it's helpful to acknowledge the obvious. That's what I'm getting at. Sometimes it's helpful to just acknowledge what's there. And, Here's the truth that I've been feeling for a while. And as of lately, I've been acknowledging to you as we consider this promise in the book of Acts. And here's the truth that I kind of feel. We're kind of getting our butts handed to us out there. (laughs) Meaning the church. That's what I feel like. I feel like if God's hope and desire is for his name to be hallowed, which mean for his name to be known, to be known in the world, and not just known, but like revered, and the goodness of who God is to be known through the church. Through the church, the world is supposed to realize that God is good and God is real. Is that the state of affairs that we find ourselves in here in Montreal, here in Quebec? I dare say no, not at all. I don't think that in our city, in our generation, in our context, that the name of God, that the church has any sort of great reputation at all. Um, For the most part, what I notice is no one really cares. And for those that do have an opinion of the church, it's often not a high opinion. That's how I see it. I didn't grow up in Quebec, I did grow up as a non-believer, though, in a non-believing family as part of, I think, pretty much what you would say the mindset of the world, and I never thought anything good about the church. I don't think his name is largely hollowed through the church. I think you can make a pretty fair case that we're kind of getting our butts handed to us out there, and maybe that's just how I feel. Maybe it's me stating the obvious, Okay? Now, slow down. Slow down if I've offended anyone. Um, But let me just go a little farther into this. Just a little bit. God's desire is for his name to be hallowed. He told us that. That's the first part of the Lord's Prayer, that his name would be known, right? That's what he wants. That's what he wants us asking for. Now, if I feel discontent that his name is not hallowed in the way that it should... Well, maybe I'm joining with a lot of other people, people that you see in the Bible. Not only that, people that God did great things through. Maybe that sometimes, maybe sometimes that's a good feeling to have. Maybe if you look at the state of the church and you look at the state of the world, maybe it's good to feel a little bit of discontent, right? Sometimes when his desire is that his name is hallowed. This week I found myself thinking about David. He was just a kid, right? and he was discontent when God's name wasn't hallowed. Remember, he heard the giant, Goliath, blaspheming. Who He said, who's this? Who this guy that is defying the armies of the living God? Everyone else was, was actually upset with him. His brothers were upset with him for saying that. He was just acknowledging the obvious, like this is not in line with who God is, What makes this guy think that he can just blaspheme the name of God? David felt that discontent, right? And so what did he do? What did he say to the giant? He said, today, you're going to fall. And, and, you're going to die today, he said to the giant. Maybe you know the story. And the whole world is going to know that there's a God. The whole world is going to know there's a God in Israel. That was his desire, that the whole world would know. It it was like Elijah. Elijah, you know him? There was this one time where he was in a bad mood of sorts and God said to him, what's wrong, Elijah? And Elijah says, I've been jealous for you. I've been jealous for your name. I've been wanting people to know, but It just seems like no one cares. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. And to be fair, to be fair, God was doing more than what Elijah was aware of. God had to remind Elijah or inform Elijah. I actually got 7,000 people here praying to me. So it's true, God is doing more than I see. However, Elijah with his desire for God's name to be known, God honored that, remember? Remember, it was Elijah that called down fire from heaven. And what did he say when he prayed? Lord, let it be known today that you are God and that I am your servant. That's all it was, and that you are calling our hearts back to you. That's all it was, and fire came down. That desire, let it be known that you are God. Let your name be hallowed. That's the desire that God wants. And as I look at the state of affairs that we find ourselves in, I feel feel that it's not working out so well. We need the the prayers and the desires of people like David and Elijah to be living in us. We need to feel a little bit of that discontent so that we can see, so that we can see we have a promise. And the promise here is you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, meaning the world will take notice. The reason I look to this promise as one that deserves prominence in our mind is because I see this power as something that is needed. It's needed for the... World to know him for who he is. If our desire is that of Elijah, Lord, let it be known that you are God, we realize that we're lacking in that department. We need help. And here, help is promised. Father God, this is your word. I am doing my best to speak it, Lord, I pray that you would give us the faith to believe it. You would give us the faith to believe it, and in believing, to ask and receive according to your word. And guide me now, in your name, Jesus, amen. So I told you last week, this whole conversation regarding the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, it's been a controversial thing in the church. And I will say again, that if you disagree with some of the minor points that I make or even some of the major points that I make, we can still be friends and you can still be part of the church. And I was talking on the phone this week to someone who's been a friend of mine for a long time, someone who I love very dearly and he definitely disagrees with me on a lot of this stuff. And uh, I just bring it up to say like, I don't just say, that like we can disagree, like I totally mean it. And one of the things that I'm looking forward to for our Wednesday nights, and I hope you're there this Wednesday, is talking about some of these matters because the way the Holy Spirit works in our mind and works in our heart are things that we there's things that bring about good conversation and can unite God's people together, but it is controversial, and you might wonder, well, why are you carrying on on this controversial thing? This is kind of like three weeks in a row. Some things are controversial because they're important, and I see this as something that's important. So um, I did come across an interesting uh, quote this week, uh, Peter Kay, known as First Peter. He gave me a book uh, early in the week, and I was reading it on Monday, and I came across this quote I thought it was so interesting. Now, it's a, a quote by Jonathan Edwards, and I brought him up a couple weeks ago, I think in passing. Jonathan Edwards was one of the key players during the Great Awakening, which was a time of what we use the word revival. It's a time where there was not a lot of religious devotion in the land, God's name was not hallowed, and then God did something great. And uh, one historian I read, I read historians say, if you want to understand the impact of the Great Awakening, imagine every church in the city doubling in size. Because that's what happened during the Great Awakening. Um, Not just in like one city, but like all throughout the land. And so, anyways, it was a big deal. And uh, Jonathan Edwards was one of the key players. And I found this quote by him. And what's interesting is this quote is about the controversy that I am currently discussing, Um, when I tell you that there is controversy regarding the Holy Spirit, if you are aware of, like, church history and the things that Christians argue about and denominations and traditions, if you're really aware of that stuff, then your mind probably goes to, like, what's known as, like... um, the charismatic and Pentecostal movement that began 100 years ago or so, you're thinking about that and all the questions and controversy that sprang from it. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, by the way, totally fine. Um, But for those who are perhaps a little more uh, educated on these matters, you think that the controversy has to do with things that sprung from the modern-day charismatic movement. And I bring that up to say, Jonathan Edwards was hundreds of years before that. Um, He was a Presbyterian, so not someone, Presbyterians are not known for like, uh, you know, really um, charismatic style worship. They're not known for that. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, he was the the president of Princeton University, you know, Ivy League College. He was an intellectual by all means. And interestingly, in this quote, um, in the book that Peter gave me, I found something where he, Jonathan Edwards, is responding to the idea that the power of the Holy Spirit is not something for us to actually experience. A lot of times you hear today, apparently what you heard back then, too, that the Holy Spirit mainly works in the background or he works in secret ways where you don't actually feel the power, you don't actually know the power. It's there, he's working, but you don't actually experience it. Jonathan Edwards is responding to that very common idea. He's saying, then what account can be given of it that the Almighty in so great a work of his power should so carefully hide his power that the subjects of it should be able to discern nothing of it? Or what reason or revelation have any to determine that he does so? If we may judge by the scriptures, this is not agreeable to God's manner in his operations and dispensations. But on the contrary, it is God's manner in the great works of his power and mercy, hear this, to make his hand visible. That's God's character. Jonathan Edwards is taking that from the scriptures and that's something he experienced as he lived and was a vessel of God during the great awakening. He saw God's power. When I speak about this desire for God to do wondrous, great things among us, one of the things that is sometimes brought up it was brought up to me this week is that, you know, there are times and seasons, it's mentioned here in, in Acts, there are times and seasons, there's times where God does great powerful works of revival in the church, and there are also times when God is working through the more ordinary means of the church. Uh, someone brought that up to me that, this week, and I would say that that is true. That is true. There are times and there are seasons. And in fact, that's kind of an argument um, based on God's sovereignty. Like God is sovereign. God is in control. And if you listen to me week after week, you know that I believe that. God's sovereignty is also one of those controversial doctrines. But I see it plainly in the scriptures. So I teach it and I say it. God is in control. However, you cannot let one doctrine... You can't see one doctrine and put blinders on, because there are other doctrines of scripture. And here's something that I see. God is sovereign. God is in control. Yes, yes, yes. Over the times, over the seasons, absolutely. Jesus wept over the state of Jerusalem. Do you remember that? He wept. He felt it and he wept. Yes, God is in control. He's absolutely in control, and maybe this is a season of revival, and maybe it isn't. God is sovereign, but Elijah was jealous for God's name to be known. David was jealous for God's name to be known, and Jesus wept over Jerusalem and their unbelief. And Jesus, the same Jesus who said, ask and receive, ask and receive, ask and receive, Yes, God is sovereign, but at the same time, we should look at the state of affairs in our city and we should feel the discontent and we should pray and we should desire and we should look to the promise, the promise of power coming upon us so that the world may know, so that we may be witnesses. I realize much of what I'm doing is, is arguing, not arguing in a, in a hostile way, but I'm trying to make a case. I'm trying to make a case that there's a promise that deserves our attention, deserves our prayers. And and, well, I'll give a break to the argument for now. I wanna ask a a question. Here it says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you you and be my witnesses. And I've been starting to kind of define this power a little bit. Last week I talked about the internal work of the Spirit, the power in our hearts to know the love, remember that? I referred to it 15 minutes ago. To know the love, to have heart assurance. That, that's, that's part of the way that the Holy Spirit works. What else can we say about this power? Today, I want to make a point of showing you what is the central goal of the Holy Spirit in showing his power to the world. Like what let me let me ask another way. What is, yeah, what is the central goal and what is the essence or the center of the power that the Holy Spirit um, seeks to do in the world? Because we've been promised power through the Holy Spirit. We know that it's connected with this idea of, and you will be my witness. We know that it's a power that is supposed to be seen by others. If it's not seen by others, it's not doing what Jesus said that it would. And that's why you know Jonathan Edwards says the desire of God is to make his hand visible. Um, so what is the central goal? Now there is one portion of scripture, and I really only know of one, where Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit coming in detail. And talked about what he would be doing when he came. Notice, when I say he, the Holy Spirit is a person. We're talking about when you're going to be, if you are to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you are to be filled with God, with the fullness of God. Um, It's an experience of intimacy. It's an experience of being close to him. So it's not just, we're not just talking about like the force. We're not just talking about having just like an impersonal power. We're talking about God, to be filled with God himself. So what is the central goal? Let's look at what Jesus said when he talked about the Holy Spirit coming, and it'll give us a better understanding of what he meant when he says, you'll be my witnesses. Keep in mind, witness, 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 it's, it's courtroom language, right, to be a witness, um, Keep that in mind as as we see what Jesus said in detail about the coming of the Holy Spirit. So this is John chapter 16. This is right in the middle of the sermon that Jesus gave where he continually said, ask and receive. Ask and receive, ask and receive, ask and receive. He said it six times, ask and receive. In the middle is he's talking about the Holy Spirit, which is part of why I have been telling you that this ask and receive pertains to the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, So anyways, what is Jesus saying about the Holy Spirit here? Let's look at John chapter 16, beginning in verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the princess world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Okay, it's not super easy to understand what Jesus is getting at here because I think just some of the language, um, but I think we can make sense of it without a whole lot of work. Notice, first off, that this here, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, and he's saying it's actually, verse 7 is actually pretty striking. He said, it's good for you that I'm going away. The Holy Spirit active in your lives and in your church will be better for you than if I was physically there. Catch that for a moment. Holy smokes. If Jesus was here in the flesh, doing the things that Jesus did in the flesh, not as beneficial as this promised Holy Spirit. Okay. The Holy Spirit, he says, um, it says, capital A, advocate. The advocate will not come. So the terminology here, advocate, it is, um, it's a legal term. Really, it's just a lawyer. That's basically someone to, to stand at your defense. This is more of the courtroom language. It's connecting with Acts 1.8 when I read when Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses. This is all courtroom language, and it's important to understand that, to understand the central goal of what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world. Okay. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to be an advocate. What does an advocate do? He makes a case. Um, this, this, when he comes, he will prove the world. The word prove is usually translated convict, which is, again, courtroom language, but prove also works, which is something else you do in court, right? He will prove the world uh, to be wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. I mean, judgment, there again, is that's, that's all part of court, right? So... What is the goal of court? What is the goal of a court proceeding? It's okay. (laughs) It's okay. What's the goal of court proceeding? Um, In any case, the goal of court is always to get to the bottom of the truth, to make the truth revealed. It's my favorite kind of television and movies is the courtroom dramas because there's always just something powerful where you have this truth that's being hidden, usually suppressed by evil, and a skilled advocate, a skilled lawyer can give the right speech or or make the right arguments where there's this moment. In courtroom dramas, there's always this moment, and it's a moment of glory where the truth is known and everyone can see it. Right, that's the the moment that you know just makes your heart like gripped. The truth is known, and everyone can see it. And that's what a skilled advocate does. And the central goal of the Holy Spirit here also it's called he's called um, the Spirit of Truth. But when he, the Spirit of Truth, comes once more, the central goal is to make the truth known, to hold it up. And what is the truth that he's holding up? It's the truth regarding. Um, Sin, righteousness, and judgment. And this is simply what we also call um, the message of the cross. The message of the cross, which is the power of God, which is the power of God to salvation. This is something you see repeatedly. I'm I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. It is the message of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And this really can be summarized to just what we know. The world is lost in sin. Um, Individually, every soul, and collectively as a whole. Lost in sin, utterly lost. Human wisdom isn't gonna fix it. Human effort, not gonna fix it. Human religion that seeks to just change through human effort. It's all part of the same thing. We can't save ourselves is the summary. Sin has occupied our hearts. We cannot save ourselves. But Jesus is the Savior of the world who came to save us when we could not save ourselves. And this thing about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. It's talking about the devil. Uh, The way that it says it in 2 Colossians is... By the cross, by the gospel, by the cross, he disarmed the enemies and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Meaning in the cross, the power of the devil is broken. The curse is lifted. Um, We are sinners. Jesus is our savior. And God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. This truth that we all need a savior. That's the truth that is hidden, and that is the truth that the Holy Spirit is bringing out. And when you understand that this, this is the goal of the Holy Spirit, to be this advocate, to hold this truth up, you can understand a lot more of church history, and you can understand a lot more of the book of Acts as we go into it. So when we eventually get to Acts chapter 2 and the Holy Spirit does come, and there's miraculous things taking place, right? The reaction of the people when they see it all and they hear Peter speaking, the reaction of the people is, what should we do? It's a sense of conviction. It's a sense of realization. Peter actually was letting them know, among other things, that there was guilt upon them, which we all have. And their reaction was, what should we do? And Peter's message was, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you receive the promise, the promise that we're speaking about here, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Meaning, when the Holy Spirit was active, there was a truth that was held up, and it was this message of the cross. Or, or, Or perhaps you all understand it this way. There's a time, I think it's Acts 17, perhaps, where... Peter um, and uh, I think it's Barnabas are, are in jail. And there's like an earthquake type thing where it's really just the Holy Spirit is shaking the place and the, and the prison cell opens. And there's a jailer that sees it all. And you would think that he might just be like, wow, this is incredible. Or maybe he would just be like, I need to do something and m- make sure these prisoners don't escape. But he didn't do any of that. When he saw the power of God, he cried out. What must I do to be saved? You see, when the Holy Spirit was working, when the Holy Spirit was working through sometimes these miraculous things, there was a message. And this jailer heard it. And it was the message of the cross. The advocate was holding up the truth. The truth being we are sinners who need a Savior. That was what was working on his heart. And if you read about, if you read about some of the revivals of old, especially the Great Awakening, Remember when we talked about David Brainerd and his missionary journeys and all these places he went, he was stunned by how much the word he used was concern. All these people who are concerned for their souls, concerned about eternity. When God's spirit is working in a mighty way, that's a thing on people's minds because that's what God is showing us. He's showing people the need for salvation. Um, Chris McCue, I don't know if he's floating around here today, but he brought up uh, a couple days ago. He brought up to me a story. Um, this is known as the the second great awakening. There was a, a certain character who God used, named Charles Finney, and this one time, like Charles Finney, like visited some factory, and like something went down where the owner of the factory said, "We need to shut down the whole place because we need to settle the question of eternity." <laughs> meaning we need to settle the question of heaven and hell and the state of our souls. When the Holy Spirit is working, when the advocate is working, that's the realization. The gospel is held high. Sin is seen for when it is righteousness. Namely, the righteousness of Christ is seen for who he is. And and hearts are converted. That's the central goal. Um, So... uh, Um, Actually, this perhaps can help us understand a rather um, difficult passage is something you see in Matthew and Mark, um, something known as the unforgivable sin that Jesus spoke about, the unforgivable sin, the sin that cannot be pardoned. He said it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And to understand what was going on was Jesus was doing miracles and the people saw it. And the Pharisees, they saw the miracles, they saw the power, but they still would not believe in him. And he brings up this idea of, there is one sin that can never be forgiven. And a lot of people have wondered, like, what is that? How does that work? But to understand what he was getting at is you have to understand what is the Holy Spirit doing in the world? The Holy Spirit is showing the world these truths, like, A good lawyer he's holding up a truth for everyone to see and the truth is the same we're sinners and we need a Savior and Jesus is that Savior and sometimes miracles and you're gonna see this in a moment sometimes like miracles in the classic sense they're used also to testify to that truth that is the central goal that the church should be holding up for the world to see we are witnesses of that truth and the stories that God has placed in our life All serve all serve to point to that still that same truth there's a Savior and it's Jesus I don't deserve the things I have I don't deserve the salvation I have I don't deserve his goodness but my let me tell you of his goodness because he is truly a good God and he's been good to me a sinner Jesus is Savior all the things that we testify point to that truth and the devil, and the power of the devil, the lies of the devil, they are overthrown when that truth is held high for people to see with clarity. The scales of our eyes are pulled back, and we can see, and the world can see. That is the goal, the central goal of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you another passage, and we're gonna see a little more about this. Hebrews chapter two says this, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This verse, I didn't put it on the screen last week, but I did read it, and then uh, two days later at our elder SLT meeting, I read it again to them, and then the next day, In our staff meeting, I read it again. This verse has been very much on my heart. It gripped my heart before we started this series. And I see something here. I see again, uh, verse four, there's more of that courtroom language, right? We know what the goal is of the Holy Spirit, holding up what we call the gospel, the message of the cross, Jesus' savior. But verse four says, God also testified to it, it meaning the message of the gospel. Um, which which is spoken about the, in, in verse 3, the, the message of salvation. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. That's something that God did. He testified to it. Like I say, the miracles like Jesus was doing, the miracles that you see in the book of Acts when when the place shakes, you know, and and the jailer yells out, what must I do to be saved? You see how that's working. The miracles are not just there for themselves. The miracles and the gifts of the Spirit, they are working together for that central goal of holding up that truth and making that truth known, right? But this is on my heart because I just feel like this this is a power that I see little of. That's just, this is just me being honest here. When I read, God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The first part, signs, wonders, and various miracles. I see some, and I've heard stories in our midst. Don't get me wrong, but I don't, see the whole city talking about it. And that's often what I read about in the book of Acts. And once more, there are times and there are seasons, and we see right here, gifts of the Spirit distributed according to His will. So there is still an element of God's sovereignty. God is in control. And there are different revivals throughout history, and the different revivals are different. God is distributing gifts according to His will. Like once more, if you know me, you know that I believe in the sovereignty of God. I believe that he has a plan that he's working out. But I also believe that he meant it when he said ask and receive. Ask and receive. Ask and receive. You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So I think that we should be looking at the state of affairs that we are in the fact that the gospel is largely unknown or unrevered, or if there is an advocate who seeks to make this truth known in the world, there's a large sense where it just doesn't seem to be happening in our day and age in the way that you would imagine when you read scriptures like this, right? I don't see it playing out that way. So here's my heart is that we would see this God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. And we would pray. And the God who said, ask and receive, would hear from heaven. By the way, gifts of the Holy Spirit, we will get into that. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, they do what these other things do, spoken about, signs, wonders, and various miracles. They seek to Witness to testify to the truth of the gospel—that is the central goal. The gifts of the Holy Spirit do other things as well, but those other things are connected with that central goal. That central goal of making it known that Jesus is Savior—that is, that is the message that is to be hallowed, is to be known. That's the message that we desire for the world to know, the message that we desire for our own hearts to know with conviction and with assurance. Um, you know, on that note, jump ahead. I don't think I have it. N- yeah, yeah, uh, jump ahead to 1 Thessalonians. It's a couple of verses up in, in the slide. 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Meaning, when the Holy Spirit came, it was with deep conviction. Meaning this message that Jesus is Savior, you believed it deep in your heart. And when we see that, we know that God is is doing something special in your life. He's chosen you. We know, brothers and sisters, loved by God. We know it, and we see it, and the evidence is this message, Jesus is Savior, you you don't cast it off, you don't ignore it, you don't say, not too important to me. You see it, you hold it, you believe it. That is the work of one who is sealed by the Holy Spirit. Um, Not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. Deep conviction, that's that's again that that courtroom language, right? Uh conviction is not always a bad thing. We usually think of it in terms of to be convicted, but here it's like a deep conviction, it's true. I believe it. Jesus is the savior. Um you know, I realized for the last few weeks we have not done QA, and I've said a lot of things that inspire QA. Um I think we might do a little bit of Q&A in our large group section, our large group time on Wednesdays, as well as we'll do some discussion, so I would encourage you to come Wednesday night. You can ask some questions then, but we do have time for some questions. Jeff Day, if you want to come up, we can can go a little further into this. Let's take some chairs, yeah.
1: So, uh, parents, for those who have kids, we invite you to uh, bring your kids to the rest of the service so they can be attend and see what's going on at the end of the service. Uh, for those who are here, have uh, questions, you can raise your hand and a mic will be brought to you. And those who are online, just take your question and we will respond it. I have a question. Um, my question will be, okay, so we just heard that message. We just heard that we should be really passionate about, you know, see the Holy Spirit move in this city. So for me, as a Christian, what is the next step, what I should, do, what I should be doing with that?
0: Great question. Great, great question. W- w- you know, another way of saying, of like, what's the point? Charlie, you just spoke for a bunch of times. What's the point? What do you want me to do about it? Um, Here's something that I've been doing for the last few weeks. It's a belief that I have faith comes through hearing. And the promises of God are obtained through faith. And the case that I've been trying to make is these are promises for us. And Jesus said, ask and receive. Ask and receive. As in what I want you doing is to know that there is a promise laid out, a promise of power for us to be witnesses. And what I want you to do is by faith to hold that, by faith to ask, to ask and receive. Um, So what I'm mainly trying to do is to do that work in your heart. Faith comes by hearing.
1: Thank you. I have a question here. Uh, if the desire of God is to be seen and show his power, why didn't he show his power power when he, he, ha, he was about to be crucified?
0: That's a good question. So that was really the argument from the people who were watching, wasn't it? As in, if he... If you are, you know, remember that thief that was like mocking him saying like if, you know, come down from here if you're so powerful. This is a great, great question because it gets to the heart of something that I almost went into and maybe I should. The power of God is not like the power of man. The power, if as in the kingdom of God does not come in the way that we would expect a kingdom to come. If there, if there is a king coming and he's gonna conquer the world, which Jesus is, Jesus is gonna reign as king someday, we would expect him to come with a sword and a mighty hand and certainly not to let himself be crucified, that's like the opposite of what you would expect a victor to do. But instead, it was by the cross that he achieved the victory that he desired. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The reason why he went to the cross was to make his power known. Because in the gospel, the power of God is known. And the power is, we have a God who loved sinners enough to lay down his life. And pay the punishment that we deserve. It was supposed to be you and me that went to the cross. That was—we are the ones who deserve the judgment of God. But Jesus took it upon Himself. It was—it was His desire to let Himself to be crucified, so that He could atone, so that He could pay for our sin. He didn't have to, um, but ultimately through the cross. His power will be known more than if he was to simply, you know, get himself out of that situation.
1: Thank you. We'll take a a last question. Um, I have asked for the Holy Spirit, and yet I became weary. I'm not sure about that. Weary. Weary. Why is that? I asked
0: for the Holy Spirit, and yet I became weary. Why is that? Um... So one thing that I can think of is the example that Jesus uses when he says, like, how much more will your father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He does use an example of someone who goes and he knocks at the door, right? And his first, his friend's like, I'm not going to get up. Then Jesus says, well, eventually he's going to get up if you're bold, um, as in, sometimes I've noticed this. This is a. Um, do you remember? Do you remember? There's this. It's a, it's a strange encounter, where this woman goes to Jesus and she's not a Jew. Um, I think she's a, a Samaritan or a Syrian, and she wants healing for I think her her child or something, and so she says, and you know, heal my heal my daughter, and. Jesus says something that seems so strange. He says, it's not, it's not the, I don't, um, what does he say? The, the, it's not right to give the children's meat to the dogs, <laughs> yeah. which is like so out of character for who God is, right? Like that's not, <laughs> and it strikes you as you're just like, what? And then she says, she responds, yes, but don't the dogs get the crumbs? And Jesus smiles, and he says, your faith, I'm going to reward your faith. You're going to have what you receive. And I bring that up for this reason. Sometimes we go to God in prayer, and I think sometimes he does challenge us a little bit. Like, do you mean it? Like, it's kind of like, do you know who I am? Where he's challenging us a little bit. He wants us to wrestle a little bit with coming to a deeper conclusion. What what happened on that day is that woman, Jesus challenged her with a very natural thought. Let me just continue with this for a little bit. In our natural minds, God is not generous and good and caring and loving. Naturally, we think of him as um, not the kind of God who would give and give and give. And First, Jesus is kind of responding to this woman with kind of like the way that you would naturally think. Like, you don't deserve this. Like, you're not loved by God. And that's kind of like one of the voices we hear sometimes. Like, we pray and we have a request of our heart and we go to God and we're like, God, can you help me with this? And there's this voice in your head that's like, He's not going to give it to me. He's not going to give me the Holy Spirit. He's not going to help me. And there's a voice to push through that and say, your love is greater. There's enough love that you have to reach even me. And that's the sort of faith that God responds to. And all of that to say is, all that to say is sometimes, sometimes asking and receiving involves a certain amount of wrestling. Do you remember when Jacob wrestled with God? Jacob wrestled with God and he said, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. This ask, seek, knock, ask, seek, knock. Um, it it doesn't always mean like sometimes I pray for the Holy Spirit to fill me up because I feel lacking, and it doesn't always happen immediately. It do, it's not always. Sometimes there is a season of waiting, praying and waiting. But our job in faith is to to stand and say, "Well, Lord, I I I've read what you say here. I'm going to keep asking and I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait for your promise because you're faithful."
1: Amen. Let's pray to close that, uh, that part. God, thank you. Thank you for um, this message. Thank you, God. I pray that you can give us this desire to ask for receive. I pray, God, that no matter where or which season we are, we can ask with, with, with faith, God, with trust. I pray, God, that you can give us this power and we can, looking for that power, looking for salvation, looking to, to spread your, your name, your word to this world. God, I pray that you can, empowering us, we can go and, and, and be, um, have this assurance that you are with us that you you will use us to spread your name your love to people to this world and people close to us never at work just like i pray that we can you can manifest your power through us so people can see it i
0: pray everything in your name amen